Um, amen. So let's read 6 through 9. And it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So we're right there where you're at. Join me uh, in prayer. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for uh, the beautiful messages all throughout it, Father God. Uh, we just place this next uh, hour or, or whatever time we have in your hands, Father God, that you may have your way. Uh, I place every single person in this room in your hands that you may prepare their hearts and their minds and open up their ears to, to hear your word, Father. I uh, present myself in your hands that you may use me as a vessel, Father God, as an instrument for your glory, Father. Uh, that I may uh, teach just correctly, that I may portray you uh, fully. Uh, so again, Father, we give you this next time in your hands that you may have your way, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, like I said, verse 6. Now, if you take a step back, and if you guys were here for the first two messages... Um, we can clearly see, and just by those verses, we can clearly say that John focuses on Jesus, on the deity, like I said, of Christ. Right now, uh, John the Apostle, which is who wrote this, uh, starts off talking about Christ and his eternal status. Then almost in verse 6, almost suddenly he jumps to a man, a man named John. Um, in other translations, it says just John. Uh, in other translations, it says, like this one says John the Baptist. Uh, they add John the Baptist. That was not in the original text. They add John the Baptist so we can uh, make a distinction that it's not John the Apostle. It's John the Baptist. Okay, so uh, the whole book of John, John the Apostle never writes his name, John. He never speaks of himself as John. Okay, so, so you guys can understand that. When we read this in the passages that we're going to read, it says John. It means John the Baptist. Okay, so... Um, like I was saying, he, he talks about Christ, he focuses on his deity, on his eternal status, and almost suddenly jumps to uh, John the Apostle. Now, it seems a little off, it seems almost insignificant, and, and I heard a preacher say that even if you take verse 6 and 8 out of that passage, it would still make sense, it, it would still flow, even if you would take that out. So it, it's almost just stuck in there, it's almost just... Uh, added in there. However, like I said, we know that all scripture is worthy of teaching. All scripture is God breathed, so there is some importance uh, importance in this, and that's our task to find uh, to seek what it's teaching. What um, John the Apostle was trying to portray, what the Holy Spirit was trying to teach us in this text. So that's our, our job tonight. Uh, so we'll go, like I said, verse by. By verse, and, and the first one, verse 6, well, we read that God sent a man, John the Baptist. His name was John. <clears throat> In LT, like I said, they add uh, Baptist uh, to make that distinction. But we, we read that this man was sent by God. Those first uh, four words. This man, John, was prophesied about. That's how, how if, if you guys don't believe it, that he was sent by God. He was prophesied about. If we jump to verse uh, 23 in that same chapter, uh, he says, John, John the Baptist, replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. This was his answer when uh, they asked him, who are you? 
And he quoted Isaiah, who was an Old Testament prophet, uh, and he quoted, I am the voice shouting the word, and it is clear the way for the Lord, uh, for the Lord's coming. And that was in Isaiah 40, verse 3. He was saying, I am that person that is coming. I am that person that is shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. He is shouting that. That was his message. That was John's uh, 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 ministry. That he was the one shouting in the wilderness, clear the way the Lord is coming. That was his ministry. We read that, if you guys can join me, Matthew chapter 3, a little before um, John, Matthew 3, verse 1 through 3. Amen, when you guys are there. Amen. Matthew 3, verse 1. Uh, in other Gospels, like Matthew and Luke, it, it goes a little farther to, to uh, you know, uh, tell us uh, John the Baptist's story. So in, in, in chapter 3, it says, verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And again, it mentions that uh, prophecy. Verse 3, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. See, so he would preach repentance. He would preach the God is coming, the Lord is coming soon. He would preach, repent of your sins, turn to God. That was his ministry. But throughout, not just his, his, his preaching, but his whole life, his whole ministry, his, his, his purpose was that message that uh, he was the one proclaiming, he was the one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Another translation says, a highway through the wasteland. <clears throat> An amazing thing that I discovered in, 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 in preparing this and studying for this is that John the Baptist was the first prophet which God used after 400 years of silence. If you read from uh, the last book of, of uh, the Old Testament, Malachi, uh, to, to Matthew, to when uh, uh, God spoke again, it was a period of... 400 years where God was silent. He wasn't speaking through any prophets, through any angels, through, through, through nothing. He, he, was, he was silent for 400 years. So this is pretty important. John the Baptist is pretty important because he was the one that God used, the last prophet, uh, and the first after those 400 years, and the last prophet that uh, God used. John was the first time after 400 years of silence that God spoke to his people through a prophet. See, John was a key piece to God's plan. He was this anchor that, that God put for a reason. He was prophesied about. He, he, was, he came about after 400 years of silence. John was the forerunner of Christ and the last forerunner of Christ. Some of you guys might have that titled uh, in, in the book of John, uh, chapter 1, when it talks about um, John the Baptist. Uh, when, and, and some people have on, on top of verse 6, do you guys have some of that titles? The forerunner of Christ? Does anybody have that? No? I don't know. Well, yeah, in, in some translations it has that title, the forerunner of 
Christ. See, all throughout Scripture, we read of men before Christ and how they are signs of something to come. Uh, That's the definition of a forerunner. It's a sign or or a testimony or or evidence of something that is to come. Something that uh, that precedes that thing. That is what a forerunner is. is. And when we see that all throughout Scripture, something pointing to Christ, something reflecting in in, in a way the image of Christ, something uh, proclaiming Christ is coming all throughout Scripture. That was when people say Jesus didn't come about into the New Testament. No, Jesus, well, first of all, Jesus was the Word. The Word was with God, the God and, and the Word was God, which is, He was in the beginning. So Jesus was there ever since the beginning. And all throughout Scripture, we see uh, reflections, foggy reflections of Christ. <clears throat> Just look at, let's all go all the way back to uh, to. to you guys don't have to go there, but in Genesis with Adam and Eve, Adam was a sign or was a reflection of, of Christ. You guys can join me, Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Romans 5, 14. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Um, there's quite a few passages I'm going to take you to. Um, Simply because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to read it in the Bible so you guys can see I'm not making this stuff up. Okay? Now, 5.14, it says, uh, Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. See, it explains it right there. Paul explains it to the Roman church that it Adam was a sign of what was to come. First Corinthians, a little bit to the right, chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 45. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It says, uh, the scriptures tells us. Um, the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is, Christ, is a life-giving spirit. See, the, the image that Adam portrays is that how through Adam, one man, sin entered the world. Sin tainted the world. It affected all of the world. And we see that through Christ, as we know through the gospel, that how through one man... Christ, righteousness came into the world. You see how in, in a sense it reflects Christ. Adam reflects Christ. Of a, a, One man came into the world and affected all the world. And the same with Christ. He came, that one man came into the world and affected the whole world. Sin was placed on us through Adam. But righteousness was placed on us through Christ. We'll go to Abraham also. Abraham, uh, Genesis, uh, if you guys can join me, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 17, all the way in the front. Genesis 17, uh, verse 5. Adam, I mean, Abraham was also a foreigner of Christ. Genesis 17, verse 5. I'm going to dive into this a little bit more because it's so beautiful. Uh, uh, 
how scripture just connects in so many ways. So Genesis 17 verse 5, it says, What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abraham. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I have a little footnote at the bottom of my, my, my Bible. And it says, Abraham means exalted father, which was his old name. And Abraham sounds like a Hebrew term that means father of many. And that was his name. He was the father of many. Uh, that's what the Jewish uh, believe. He was the, 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 that's one of their key uh, uh, people in their religion is Abraham. That they believe he is, or that they don't just believe, but he is. Abraham is the father of faith. Um, he is the first person that God uh, shows us how we need to have faith in God to be saved. Even before Christ in the Old Testament, they needed faith in God to be saved. It's the same way. So that's what his name means, father of many. <clears throat> he is titled father of all nations in, all, in other translations. And it explains that one verse, verse 5, further in Genesis, I mean in Romans 4.17, if you guys want to look at that a little later, Romans 4.17. Um, but it, I want to take you guys to Ephesians, kind of back where we were. Ephesians um, chapter 3, Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 15. Ephesians 3. Amen. Ephesians 3, 14 to 15. Amen. Uh, and it says, Yes, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. He wasn't talking that he prays to Abraham. He was talking that he prays to Christ. And what, is it, what is his title? The Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. You see how in a sense it's a reflection of Christ? Of course, in a smaller sense, because Abraham is not Christ, but God all throughout the Bible gives us these small hints, these small images of what was to come. Just like uh, Abraham was titled Father of all nations, Christ is titled Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. A foggy reflection of Christ, a, 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 a small uh, a reflection of Christ, a sign of what was to come with the promise that God made with him. This goes even a little deeper. Let's go back to where we were, Genesis 17. There's even more to it. Genesis 17, verse 7, right uh, after verse 5, 6 and 7. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 7, and it says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. After you, from generation to generation, this will be, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now, again, I'm focusing on how Abraham was a reflection. He was a forerunner to Christ. And we see that in this verse also, because the, the word descendant in that passage, in the original uh, Hebrew, the word is seed. And that is, uh, 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 in, in, it's not, it doesn't say seeds, it says seed, singular. 
Now, I know we're going back and forth, but let's go to Galatians chapter 3. So you guys can see what I'm talking about. See why I think this is so beautiful, how it all connects, why I get excited about this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, oh, I'm in Ephesians. Galatians 3, 16. And it says... God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Singular. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And it says, and that, of course, means Christ. When God made that promise with Abraham, he was referring uh, the, the promise that that, that the hope that that promise brings, he was referring to Christ. The hope to come was Christ, the one and only, the single descendant from Abraham, Christ. And you guys don't believe me? Go to Matthew 1, uh, verse 2. It's the whole genealogy of since Abraham. It starts off with Abraham and it ends with Christ. He was the descendant of Abraham. He was the seed. Abraham and the promise that God made with him was a forerunner of Christ, pointing to what was to come. Many objects were also signs of what was to come. Uh, you guys maybe heard in Sunday school the Ark of the Covenant. Right? It was a box that was you know made out of gold. It had you know some statues on top, and inside were the. Uh, Ten Commandments. You guys can join me if you guys wish. Exodus 25. Exodus 25, verse 16. 25, verse 16. And it says, When the ark... Uh, where is it? Yeah, when the ark is finished, place inside the stone... Place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Put into the ark the terms of my covenant. We all have heard the old covenant, the new covenant. The old covenant was the law that you had to follow these things in order to uh, have righteousness, right? So that was the old covenant. The terms of the covenant, which he will give, which God will give to, uh, give to you, it says. <clears throat> Now, in other translations, it says, put into the ark the testimony. Which is a closer translation to the Hebrew literal translation, which in Hebrew, it says, eduth, E-D-U-T-H, meaning the terms. That's what we see in the NLT, right? He uses the words terms. The terms of the Lord's covenant. Which again, in the ark were the Ten Commandments that He will give to you join me in Isaiah Isaiah again my focus is to point that the Ark of the Covenant was a forerunner a sign of Christ to come so I'm, I'm doing that with Isaiah 42 verse 6 42 verse 6 we've touched upon this chapter a little bit when I talked about Isaiah 53 
It's one of the servant's letters speaking of Christ. So Isaiah 42 verse 6 says, uh, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. This is talking about Christ. This is God. Uh, uh, when, when he chose Christ to be the covenant, to be the new covenant. I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be the light to guide the nations. Again, verse 6, it says right there, God choosing Christ to demonstrate his righteousness. And how God will give Christ to his people as a symbol, a sign, a forerunner of what was to come. You see the resemblance of the Ark of the Covenant and Christ. The terms of the Old Covenant was the law, the Ten Commandments. The terms of the New Covenant is Christ. In Him alone is righteousness. All throughout Scripture, and I could keep going, there's a, a giant list of, of people and, and, and objects of, of the Lamb that, we, that the Old Testament times they had to sacrifice. Uh, the snake, the bronze snake on the staff. Uh, uh, there's many other, Jonah, uh, Noah, uh, Moses. They all reflect and point to Christ. All throughout Scripture we see uh, testimonies and forerunners of Christ. All throughout Scripture, uh, the message is Christ. And John the Baptist is super, super significant because he was the last forerunner before Christ came. God has always used somebody or even something to point to Christ, to, 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 to uh, show us of what was to come. You might ask why, because verse 5 in original text, John 1, 1, John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness and darkness can never extinguish it. This light is talking about Christ. It can never be extinguished. Throughout the Bible, we read that God is omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing. All He's all everywhere at all times. He's all-powerful. So why would He use us? Why would He use mere men? Why would He use mere man-made things to point to Him? To use us as a process to, 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 to His plan to bring Him glory? Why would He use us? Why would He use those things? Now, that's an understandable question. That's a logical question. I don't understand God's logic. I don't understand his thought process. I don't know why he did it like this, but he did. If we go to our original text, John 1, verse 7. This is why God uses this. To tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. God uses you. And if you don't step up and obey, he will use even something to testify of this light. Why? So that people can believe. So it says in verse 7, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And we see that process. Go to Romans chapter 10. 
we see the process of how God uh, sends people to preach the gospel so that people can hear, so that people can believe the gospel. That is the process. Romans 10 verse uh, 15. No, let's go back 14. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody, someone tells them? And how would anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feats of messengers who bring good news. That is the way God works. That is the way God ordained it. For people to believe, people need to hear the gospel. Through other testimonies. Through you guys. through And if nobody in the world steps up to go and tell about Christ, God has already done it with nature. Nature enough is evidence and testimony and, 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 and points to Christ. That is the process that he chose to use. Why? I'm not completely sure, but that's just how he does it. He uses us so that through us, people will believe. We are the vessels. We are the instruments. We are the clay pots. Let's join me for 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse, uh, we're going to start at verse 5. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Amen. <clears throat> um, I'm going to kind of skim through this because, uh, yeah, verse 5, we'll start at verse 5. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your, are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we now have this light um, shining in our hearts, but, yeah, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You guys read the rest of that uh, chapter, and it's a powerful chapter. But we see right there that we are fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, containing the gospel, containing the glory of God. Uh, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. He uses us to display His glory. He uses us to show His power in contrast to our power or lack of power. That's why He uses us, because we're so messed up. We're the perfect vessel to use to contrast His power and His glory. And going back to our original text, John chapter 1, verse 8, John the, the, the Baptist knew this. John himself, verse 8, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. He knew he wasn't Christ, and he was just pointing to Christ. John knew that he was just a clay pot. We see that he knew that. Verse 15, he says that. Verse 30, he says that. Chapter uh, 3, verse 27 through, through 30, 
uh, you can even go 30, yeah, 30, verse 27 and 30, chapter 3, he, he says, let's read that one, John 3, verse 27, says, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah, I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Pastor Carlos touched on this a few weeks ago, how we are just, you can be, I don't know, preaching every Friday. You can be part of the worship team. You could be a leader in something. We are just a vessel pointing to Christ. We just stand to the side, let Christ be, be, be introduced, His bride, and we just stand there filled with joy because that is the plan. That was the, the, the original plan since the beginning. We must become less and less and less and Christ should become greater and greater and greater. Again, going back to our original text, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is true, who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Like I have the band, Romulus, uh, goes down. John knew this. And we see how beautiful this passage that seems that doesn't fit. How it still points to the deity of Christ. It still points to the glory of Christ. Through John the Baptist, through his ministry, through his message, he was pointing to Christ. He was the last one to, to point to Christ in this way before Christ actually came. Verse 9, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Our job as Christians, our job as ambassadors of God, uh, we simply tell of the true light, the one who gives light to everyone. That's our job, just like the, that video even said. We're not here to argue. We're not here to, to debate with anybody. I mean, if they want to, go ahead. But that is not your main job. That is not your priority. Your job is to share that true light. That's it. You go out and evangelize. Someone says, I don't want to hear it. Next person. You go out and evangelize. Says, uh, I, you know, they start coming with this argument. God bless you. Next person. That is, it, it's simple. We overcomplicate it, but it's super simple. We just point to the light. Where they have ears to hear, they will listen. If they don't, they won't. Let's read uh, verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That is our job, just to point to Christ. 
We are simply instruments. We are simply vessels. We are simply uh, jars of clay. We point to the one who gives light to everyone. To Christ who eliminates all darkness. Uh, to the one who illuminated us. To the only one that raises us from the dead and gives us new life. What better thing can your logic and your arguments bring? That is our mission. That is our job. Just like John the Baptist. To be a forerunner of Christ. We simply point to Christ. We simply share Christ. We simply portray Christ in our lives. The one who raised us from the dead to life for eternity. So in this passage 6 through 9. My plea to you, my implication that I leave you guys with is rise up, be a forerunner of Christ. Be a witness, be testimony of Christ. Share his light, share his life in your life. That is part of the teaching in this text that and, and we can see that through this passage, how it talks about Jesus' deity, talks about Christ and his eternal status, and then throws in there John the Baptist, how insignificant it is. Because in a sense it is. Compared to Christ, we are insignificant. Like I said, what else can we offer that is better but Christ? That is my plea with you guys. In Every day, light of life, day to day, point to Christ in all that you do. Amen. Just normally let's stand up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Friday night that you give us the privilege and freedom to come to your house and open it and study it and uh, have fellowship with each other and, 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 and sing praises to you and sing worship to you Father God it's, I never take it for granted because I know that all throughout the world there's people being killed for owning a Bible people being sent to jail for owning a Bible and you've placed us in this place father god for a reason you you give us a privilege to read it father god and as we read it we see the beautiful message all throughout from genesis to revelations we see the beautiful message of christ we see how every single story every single paragraph every single chapter and book and, and, and passage in here points to to christ that is the main message that is why we're here that is why the church started because of Christ. So Father, I just ask that this message be burned in our hearts and our minds. That you remind us through your Holy Spirit that whatever we do, we must reflect Christ. We must portray Christ and his light and his life to everyone that we come in contact with. Whether they're Christians or, or, or atheists, we need to portray Christ. Just as John the Baptist with. And, and we need to understand that no matter how big or how 
amazingly you use us, we are just vessels, we are just pots filled with your glory, pointing to you, uh, showing and, and reflecting your image. May we have Christ in our hearts, in our mind, and, and, and may we, we take every idea and thought and, and, and word and action and take it captive and hold it up to Christ and give it to Christ so we can try to do that fully and, and portray Christ accurately. May everything we do and say and think be filtered through Christ. For he is a true light and in him is true life. So again, Father, we thank you so much. We give you all glory, Father God, for this message. We give you all glory for your word and all praise and all honor, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.